On an idyllic summer afternoon in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, Polly Melton disappeared into thin air while on a hike with her two friends. Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance and Jen. How are you both doing today? Doing wonderful. Thanks, Tim. I'm doing great as well because this disappearance has been on our radar for a little while, and I'm really happy that we're finally getting together to discuss it. It's a familiar territory. Uh, so this one is one that, again, very excited to dig into. But before we start doing that, Tim, you asked Jen how she was, me, I'm doing great. How are you? I don't want you to feel left out here. <laughs> I don't. I'm I'm feeling great as well. I'm excited to discuss the disappearance of Thelma Pauline Melton. And we did speak with Laura Risty, who is an amazing researcher, and she's got her own website. It's CanadianGirl77.com, and that's girl with a U. And you can check that out. She has helped us on the series about Trenny Gibson's disappearance from the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which is the same park that Polly Melton vanished from. So this was right up her alley because she had been digging into Trenny Gibson's disappearance for years and actually over almost two decades now. And so we'll be hearing directly from Laura later, but make sure to listen to our series on Trini Gibson's disappearance and check out Laura's work at CanadianGirl77.com. And Tim, if people wanted to listen to those episodes, plus this episode, without the ads, there's got to be a place that they can go to do this. Yes, you can sign up for Missing Premium at Missing.SupportingCast.FM. You get ad-free episodes, you get our weekly bonus show, and you get early releases. But if you're an Apple user, you can subscribe right there in the Apple Podcasts app. It's as easy as clicking a button. So check that out. And is, is it as easy as clicking a button if one wanted to follow us on social media? It really is. You can follow us on social media at Missing CSM. Okay, we're going to throw to commercial real quick, and we'll be right back with some information about Polly Melton's disappearance. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. True terrors of horror bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart, it's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. 
Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Thelma Pauline Melton, who goes by Polly, vanished without a trace on September 25th, 1981, while hiking with her friends in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee. Polly was 58 at the time of her disappearance and would be 99 today. She was 5'11", about 170 to 180 pounds. She was wearing, at the time of her disappearance, a pink and white striped sleeveless blouse. She had tan pants on, a diamond-studded white gold wristwatch, a wedding band, and a size 8.5 tan low-cut shoes with crepe soles. The sole of her left shoe had a crack across the ball of the foot. So Polly was also suffering from a couple different medical conditions. Uh, she sat, she was taking medication for high blood pressure, and she also suffered from nausea, um, which she also took medication for that as well. She was taking both of these medications at the time of her disappearance. And Polly is a Caucasian female, auburn hair, brown eyes. She wears eyeglasses, and she smoked about two packs of Virginia Slim's cigarettes per day at the time of her disappearance in 1981. And if you've got any information, please contact the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at 615-744-4000. And for the most part, Polly had quite an eventful life. She was always considered to be a happy-go-lucky person. She was born in Alabama. She has a sister, several brothers. She was married three times. Her first husband was a career army man. And that was what brought Polly to different areas of the United States. Her second husband was a graduate of MIT, and Polly even worked for the federal government at the Pentagon for a period of time. That's pretty intense. I wonder what her job was there at the Pentagon. At this time, we don't know um, what Polly did at the Pentagon, but she also worked at Sears and she taught school in Alaska. So she'd been everywhere and kind of done a lot with her life. Um, But she ended up getting divorced to her second husband and Polly married for a third time. And this was an older gentleman named Bob Melton. I got to give Polly some props here on not wanting to settle down with one man for the entirety of her life. Given the time frame in the 70s, that wasn't something that was, as we know, because we've talked to people who have, you know, given us descriptions of this, like that wasn't something that was looked upon with a, a positive light. On her third husband, I don't know, it just speaks to me like she had some confidence there. I find it interesting that she held so many different kinds of jobs too, like kind of very high profile jobs and then like working at Sears and stuff like that. So she really just ran the full gamut. You know what she kind of reminded me of with these series of jobs? Julia Child, who had all of these like really remarkable experiences in different occupations before settling into being like the culinary wizard that she turned out to be. But that's what stood out to me when I first read this was that she was very independent and it wasn't a matter of like, what does somebody think of me for doing this job? It was that she wanted to do it. That's just how it read to me. Well, that's interesting you mentioned that. Julia Child's actually 6'2", and Polly is uh, 5'11", and she kind of has like a grandmother-type look with gray hair and the glasses, yep. And but but she was only 58, and uh, I mean, the oldest she was in, in this picture that I'm looking at was 58, and uh, I feel like by today's standards, uh, you know, she, she would look like she would be 68 or something with, with that photo. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah. We've looked at dated pictures of people, especially ones from like yearbooks and said that person's 18. They look like they're 35. So there was this, I don't know if it was like a combination of the type of living plus the type of technology taking the picture, but everyone sort of looked about 10 years older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. From the picture you included here, Tim, in the research document, she definitely does look like a little older than her years. I mean, very like super 70s kind of outfit she has on. And she looks like a rather conventional older lady, but we know that she did not lead a conventional life. That's true. And when she disappeared, she had been volunteering part-time in Bryson City, North Carolina, serving meals to the elderly. And she had been doing that for quite some time. 
And so Polly and Bob had been married since 1975, so about six years um, before she went missing. And they lived in Jacksonville, Florida, but they also lived in their Airstream trailer year-round. And they came to the Great Smoky Mountains generally in about April or May, and they'd stay till October or November. And they always stayed at the same campground in Deep Creek, North Carolina. And as a matter of fact, Bob, Polly's husband, actually owned that campground, so they divided their time between there and Jacksonville. At this point, Bob was unfortunately not in the best of health. He was about 20 years older than Pauline, so he was about 78 when she went missing. Yep, and as mentioned earlier, Polly was 58 and in fairly good shape. She was taking the medication for high blood pressure and nausea, and again, she smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, but she didn't let that stop her from hiking. She would get together with a few women that camped in the same campground as she and her husband did, and they'd hike every afternoon. And the campground they stayed in mostly had the same group of people year after year. And Polly had been coming to this campground for about 20 years. So it seems likely that Polly and Bob actually met at the campground, either that or they met somewhere else, and then Bob later purchased it. Have you guys ever experienced these types of campgrounds? Yeah, I was just thinking about my grandparents up in Canada. They had a a trailer. It wasn't an Airstream, but it was like a 70s style RV type situation. And they would go to the same campground every year. They had friends who would all take their RVs there too. And they'd spend, you know, two months just hanging out, fishing, swimming, hiking. So was it the same at that campground as it was with this one where it had to be a unanimous decision for somebody else who was new to it to come in to get a spot in that camp? Like there needed to be a vote? I don't think it was like that, like a kind of like guarded community or whatever. I think anybody could go to the campground. Um, it was just kind of like a, a an arrangement between friends that this is the place they would go every year. Well, that was the case here where at this campground, it was a very tight group of people probably in their 40s or 50s, and when a spot opened up, again, they needed to have a unanimous decision for a new person to come in. So I'm sure everybody knew Polly there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and she had like a like an odd sort of power, too, in this group dynamic because her husband owned, owned to the campground and she had been going for such a long time. So maybe she would like have a lot of power to weigh in on who and who could not camp there. So the day that Polly disappeared was hot and sunny, and overall a pretty normal Friday, except for one thing. As previously mentioned, Polly volunteered in nearby Bryson City, serving meals to the elderly. And the way it worked was that you would sign up the day previous for the next day. So if she had planned on volunteering on Friday, she would have signed up on Thursday. But that particular day, she did not sign up to serve meals, which was considered to be unusual. And now Laura Risty mentioned that she got a report from one person that said Polly wasn't feeling well on the day she went missing, but not too sick to make spaghetti and sauce for dinner for Bob and for Polly to take a hike with her friends. So Polly met up with her friend Pauline, who we are going to refer to as Red. She was known as that to avoid confusion and Trula to hike the Deep Creek Trail on the day that she disappeared. And now the Deep Creek Trail is four miles long and considered an easy trail to hike. And the Deep Creek Trail is a pretty serene and uh, kind of an easy hike. And uh, it's a popular area, too. And there's a lot of people around. And there is a parking lot where there's about 50 cars in the lot on that day. So Polly's friends describe her as being jovial and in a great mood that day, despite perhaps feeling ill a little earlier. They were joking around on the leisurely hike through the woods and everything seemed pretty normal. They stopped so Polly could take a cigarette break, and at one point Polly was kind of lagging behind them, and one of the women made a comment to her, sort of calling her out for walking slowly. And all of a sudden, and without warning, Polly started to speed up. Trula and Red laughed, but Polly kept going faster and faster. Red called to her, I wouldn't want to be in a foot race with you, Polly. And then she turned back with a grin, and then proceeded to continue on the path, fast and determined, and then she rounded a bend. Trula and Red didn't think much of it and assumed she'd slow down at some point, but to their surprise, she didn't, and they saw Polly in the distance on a hilltop where she walked down the hill, still on the trail, and then walked out of sight. And unfortunately, Trula and Red didn't realize at the time that that would be the last time they'd see their friend Polly. Had they known, they probably would have asked other folks on the trail if they had seen her or where she went. 
But Red and Trula hiked back to the campground thinking that Polly was maybe playing a joke and that she was back home at her trailer. But when they arrived, there was no Polly. And they asked her husband, Bob, and he hadn't seen her either. And that's when alarm bells went off that something was really wrong. So now let's hear from researcher Laura Risty about why she researched Polly's case. Well, I came across uh, the case of uh, Thelma Pauline Melton right around the same time um, that I came across Trenny Lynn Gibson's case, mainly because there were three disappearances in the Great Smoky Mountains, one of Dennis Martin in 1969, one of Trenny Lynn Gibson in 1976, and then one of Pauline Melton in 1981. So they were always grouped together. They were the big three, so such as we could say, I guess. They're all vastly different cases. And we asked Laura about similarities between Pauline Melton and Trenny Gibson's disappearances. Really, the, the similarities are they both happened in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. They were both female, and they were both with a group. Um, they became separated from that group, and then that's when they were never seen again. That's really where the similarities end. So these two cases, Trenny and Polly's case, were separated by like, what, four or five years? Yeah. Um, Trenny was like 81, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Polly's 76. Right. Okay. I almost like can't extricate these cases, like pull them apart in my mind. They're so similar to me. I mean, definitely in the same type of area, not the same hiking trail, not the same campground or anything. But What struck me is that both cases had, um, you know, the disappeared individual walking with a group or with another person. Uh, Trini passed a group of students on her way ostensibly back to where the bus was parked. And then she, too, started to pick up her pace. She started walking faster. She blew by this group of friends. And then I think Laura describes it as her kind of crouching down, looking to the side and then kind of disappearing not off trail, but around a curve or something. And that's the same thing that happens with Polly. Like she's walking slow and then she starts picking up her pace. She's walking past her friends. They're calling to her and then she disappears. It's so strange. I hear what you're saying, but I see more differences. I don't see a lot of similarities here. I mean, the weather was different. It was cold and rainy when Trenny disappeared. It was hot and sunny when Polly disappeared. Both of them were hiking with groups because that's typically what they did, right? That was a school trip. So Trenny wasn't going to be isolated. And Polly always hiked with her friends. And I feel like they gave Polly a little bit of ribbing for falling behind, which is why she wanted to over-exaggerate that walk and get ahead of them. Uh, but I, I do see what you're saying. The The real thing that sticks out to me is just the location, that someone can literally look into the woods or duck into the woods or go around a bend in the Great Smokies and then they're gone. I mean, gone without a trace. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not trying to say that I think these cases are connected in any way. It's just like kind of striking sequence of things that really stick in my mind. It's hard to pull apart. Yeah, yeah. I I get you. Almost like a the plot lines are the same or the plot points are the same in two different stories. Yeah. It's like if you gave a writer, like two different writers, the same general plot and they both wrote out a scene. Yeah. The, the women are different, but the, the moment where they disappeared from the trail seems like eerily similar to me. For sure. Yeah. And the search for Polly began quickly after Trula and Red spoke with Bob. In fact, Bob Melton was so distraught that he was hospitalized on the evening of his wife's disappearance. That sucks. You're 78, so you're already kind of accepting the fact that you have a handful of years left. And you've met this woman. And now she's gone. Like, that is tragic. Yeah, I imagine Polly was doing a fair bit of caretaking as well for Bob. And we asked Laura about the search for Polly. The only place that her scent was tracked was kind of this fallen tree that people used to sit on and take a take a break one of the bloodhounds uh, picked up her scent at this at this fallen tree aside from that there was no no sign of her ever again and uh pauline uh, when she was hiking that day she had a shoe that had a crack across the ball of the foot so she had fairly distinctive footprints but they couldn't find these footprints anywhere off trail so they they don't know where she went the creek was searched i've heard reports where people were like holding hands and walking across the creek like trying to drag the creek 
but no trace of her was ever found. So according to Laura, one of the mysteries here is that Polly was wearing a shoe, and during the search, they had bloodhounds out there, they picked up her scent, and they were looking for her footprints. And she was wearing shoes that we indicated before that one of the shoes had a crack across the ball of the foot, so that would make for a very distinctive footprint, but they didn't find any of those footprints off the trail. So what was that terrain like? Was it that there were no footprints or they couldn't find the footprints? Was it rocky or was it like very uh, a lot of vegetation, a lot of leaves where you wouldn't be able to see distinctive cracks in a sole of a, of a shoe print? Uh, and she says the creek was searched and they did a sort of makeshift dragging of the creek and didn't come up with anything. And I'm wondering, you know, there was no footprints leading into the creek. So backing all of that up, does it seem to you like she went off the trail? It, it kind of seems like she vanished into thin air. Apparently, uh, it, it seems like she didn't continue on the trail after Trula and Red Sar, and it seems like she didn't go off trail. So I don't know what happened. And we asked Laura to describe the area of the park where Polly went missing. One part of the trail um, leads off into like a, a campground and picnic area. And on the other side, there's a gate and it's close to uh, vehicular traffic. So there's only certain areas that you can you can travel by car in that area of the park. There's an area there where people go uh, tubing in the creek. And there's a parking lot and a, uh, a picnic ground and that sort of thing. But uh, on the other side, that's all blocked of vehicular traffic. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Kickoff for Super Bowl 34. The Titans Rams 2000 Super Bowl, an instant classic. Hours after the game, two men were stabbed in the street, accused of being in the middle, the greatest linebacker in NFL history. Ray Lewis and two friends are charged with murder. The nation's eyes were glued to their televisions. The trial concluded and the verdicts came back not guilty. What you can learn from all this is that big cases make for big mistakes. Look what happened in O.J. Simpson. And look what happened in Ray Lewis. Lewis went on to have a Hall of Fame career, but questions around that night in Atlanta still remain. So what do you think they're hiding? They know what happened. They know exactly what happened. After 20 years, it's time to get to the bottom line truth. From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Tim Livingston, and this is The Raven. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free listening and early access, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus on tenderfootplus.com. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Okay, let's revisit the last time Red and Trula saw Polly on the trail. It seems that Polly was acting a bit oddly with her speed walking. Well, they just thought it odd that she was lagging behind them. And, and it was almost like when they called her on it, then that's when she picked up the pace. Um, so they thought that that was a little, a little peculiar. They had also been teasing um, Polly. Um, Polly kind of, she was happy and cheerful, but there were places in her world that you didn't tread. And sometimes she'd lighten up and kind of joke around and banter with them. And other times she'd just keep quiet and not say too much of anything. And uh, one of the ladies had said that uh, she was kind of teasing uh, Pauline 
because when Pauline was at work uh, serving meals to the elderly, volunteering rather, not at work, there was a fellow there that was giving her the eye. This one lady was was teasing her about it. I'm not sure if it was Red or if it was uh, Trula that was doing the teasing, but Pauline didn't seem to appreciate that and uh, um, didn't want to talk about it. See, I, I don't know if I would exactly categorize Polly's speed walking as being odd. If she's, again, being ribbed by her friends and she wants to make a joke or even, again, exaggerate if they think she's lagging behind, she wants to exaggerate her walking ahead of them. I don't know if that's odd. I think that's like something that if she didn't go missing here. That's yeah, exactly. The thing. If she didn't go missing, it would be funny. Yeah. And who is this gentleman, this this uh, person there who's giving her an eye? And are we meant to be indicated that this was a romantic type of look? I think so. Yeah, there's some, some real mystery here. Uh, we don't know who the man is. We did ask Laura if there was anything else that we could learn from Polly's life before she went missing. And there were some interesting things that she said. At one point, she had quite an addiction to Valium. Um she went through um, a pretty heavy depression in, I believe, 1978 when her mother passed away. And she was quite a heavy user of Valium. Bob had his own bottle of Valium that was gone from the trailer? Yes, um, his, his Valium was missing. Um, so we don't know if Pauline took it with her um, that day or what. The rest of her medications, her wallet, her purse, and so on, personal effects, that was all left behind at the trailer. If she had anything on her, it was something she could stow in her, in her pockets. Okay, so that's interesting about her medication and Bob's missing Valium. Apparently, he realized it was missing pretty quickly, maybe within a day or two. So I, I think it's possible that Polly took that Valium with her. That's pretty interesting because what's the effect of taking Valium? That is to slow you down, right? And your responses are slowed and your coordination slowed and your muscle responses are slowed down? Yeah, but I think it has some like cognitive side effects too. Um, like you definitely get a euphoric feeling, like a high feeling, which is why it's so addictive. But I imagine it might contribute to some like quote unquote odd behavior too. Would you consider speed walking part of an after effect of Valium? I think it usually slows down the activity in your brain. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like for panic attacks and stuff, right? Yeah. Or is it for right. pain? No, it's for anxiety. You got it. Yeah. So I'm wondering if she was feeling some anxiety and with the, the ribbing that her friends were giving her and knowing the fact that there were areas that you just didn't go with her emotionally, maybe she was really irritated with that, which might have triggered the onset of an anxiety attack or something that she thought might have been an anxiety attack. And she starts speed walking past them to the point where she can get away and maybe chill out. And then she takes a Valium. That's possible. That's definitely possible. Um, I think Polly was going through a hard time. Uh, we mentioned that her mom had passed away and she suffered like a pretty deep depression after that. And even if she isn't still in that like deep, dark hole of depression, um, she might have started taking Valium at that point and like really became addicted. And so like every little trigger, even if it's just like a teasing from her friends, could have kind of pushed her to the point um, to just, you know, take a pill, take another pill. And we asked Laura if there was anything else about Polly's behavior before she went missing that could be useful in trying to find out where she is. The minister um, at her church noticed that there was quite a quite a change in her uh, between 1978 and uh, 1981, where he said in 1981 she was doing a, a lot better. But he did mention in the fall of 1981, he didn't think that Polly was as in as good of a place as she had been in the spring of 1981. He suspected that there was something going on in her life, but he didn't know what exactly. Pauline had made a comment to him about uh, some people, and it was a very vague comment, but it was about some people that were running around on their spouses. And the minister said that the way that she had mentioned it almost led him to think that she had had an affair and felt guilty about it. But she didn't, um, she didn't disclose any more information or elaborate any on it. 
Uh, but that's that's what he had come to believe. Now, there is one clue that occurred after Polly's disappearance that's of interest. A check of Polly's was cashed in Birmingham, Alabama. The following April, so it would have been April of 1982, apparently there was a check cashed with um, um, on Pauline's bank account. And it was for um, for some interest or something like that. But the... Uh, the bank teller didn't remember um, who actually had cashed the check, but that came up the following spring. Aside from that, there had been no no trace of her. That is really interesting. And the check was cashed. It was for some interest that she said that was on the account. So it couldn't have been that much money. No, it doesn't sound like it. Yeah, but but that is interesting. And investigators looked into it, but were not able to prove that it was Polly's signature on the check. So, I mean, obviously, fraud, check fraud uh, is a thing. Uh, in 1982, I guess, ch- like, check fraud would have been a little more common than it is now, maybe? I don't know, because there's so many other ways to commit fraud these days. So, I don't know. It, was it her who signed that, or was it uh, someone who was trying to get some of her money, I guess? Yeah, I don't know. I wonder what the uh, process was like at a bank in in the 80s. Like, obviously, you have to endorse the check on the back um, and take it into a bank, hand it to the teller, and then they cash it. I wonder if they would ask for any ID or like to prove that you're the person that this check belongs to. But maybe not. Maybe it was just a very simple transaction. Anyone could have done it. But if you're doing it and you had something to do with her disappearance or you knew that she had disappeared and you knew you were at least committing check fraud, then it's amazing to me that someone would do it for the interest on an account. And again, like, I don't know how much interest would have been there, but is it really worth the risk? Like, even if you didn't have anything to do with her disappearance, you're still cashing a check under somebody else's name and that's illegal. So is it worth the 30, 40, 50, hundred dollars that you're cashing it for? I wonder, um, so this was back in Alabama, right, that this check was cashed. Like, so Polly wasn't living in Alabama anymore. She was either in Tennessee or in Florida. That's where she was splitting her time. So I wonder if it was like common practice for one of her family members to go and cash a check and then eventually, you know, give it over to Polly. Maybe even Polly was like, hey, you can keep the interest if it wasn't that much money. I don't know. Why was it sent to to a... Alabama if she lived elsewhere. Yeah, unless somebody had it with them. Yeah, true. I wonder if they ever fingerprinted the check. No, I guess they were never able to figure out if it was Polly or or who it was. No, apparently at this at this bank they didn't have any video cameras at the time, so like no imagery was collected of the person who cashed the check. And Laura spoke to Bob Melton's two sons. Bob had two sons, and they seemed to keep uh, Pauline at a distance. And when they were interviewed about Pauline's disappearance, they were pretty nonchalant about the whole thing. The only thing that they said that they were concerned about was the impact that Pauline's disappearance would have on their father. Okay, we'll be right back with some theories about Polly's disappearance. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. New England is known for its charming towns, comforting foods, and of course, its historical contributions, but the Downeast region can have a dark side. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and on my weekly podcast, Dark Downeast, I dig into both decades old and modern day cases 
from my home state of Maine and the greater New England area. In each episode of Dark Down East, I seek insight from law enforcement officials, family members, and other loved ones who are both deeply familiar with the cases and the individuals at the heart of them. Join me as I unveil intricacies of these stories that are often overlooked, honor the grit of those searching for justice, and shine a light on cases that you aren't hearing on other podcasts. Listen to Dark Down East now, wherever you're listening. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. What do you think, Jen and Lance? What happened to Polly? I mean, this is a hard one. Like, whenever I hear about disappearances in, you know, vast wildernesses or, you know, national parks or something, I think, like, maybe the Occam's razor is, you know, they had an accident, you know, sprained an ankle, got lost, you know, something to do with the elements or an animal attack or something like that. But there... There's just like too many things that were kind of adding up behind the scenes in Polly's life, her addiction to Valium, her potential affair, maybe dissatisfaction with her marriage to a much older man, like caretaking responsibilities that potentially Polly just orchestrated a new life for herself. And like, it's an odd way to go about it. But um, I think maybe this is more probable than in other cases we've covered. Upon first researching this, before hearing what Laura had to say in her opinions, it does feel like a situation where an individual wandered off trail, especially you count the Valium into the equation, and something happened there. And, you know, we hear it all the time where you can have a pretty significant search and find nothing for years. But then you start looking at these other details that you mentioned, Jen, and other details that Laura had brought up. And the one thing that keeps standing out to me is the trail itself and how it's described as four miles. And then the the picture that we see of all of the trails coming together for that loop come to about two miles. So I'm wondering if the, the entirety of it is four miles and she speeds ahead of everybody else to meet somebody where it loops around, where, where that two mile end of all of those come together. And is it a parking lot or is it a trailhead? And it's planned, but how does that all get organized for that morning? Unless it had been organized for several days, maybe maybe several weeks, and her missing the shift where she is feeding the elderly is part of the plan as well. Yeah, I also look at her behavior with her two friends, like on the hike too. So like mm-hmm. at first she's lagging way behind so much so, so that they tease her about it, and then she speeds up. So to me, that seems like she's maybe trying to lose them. Yeah, I, I think now after uh, going through this uh, this episode and, the, and this case with Laura, that's what I believe as well, that she was trying to lose her friends. Um, but when I first started researching this, I, I thought it might have been an accidental death or possibly a suicide. Let's hear what Laura has to say. I believe she planned it. I believe she planned to leave and she left. I believe she had met someone else because the day before that she went missing at that nutrition center where she volunteered she'd asked to use the phone several times that day um nobody really thought too much of it but it was was a little odd it was several times that it happened um no long distance phone calls showed up on the phone bill or anything like that um but she was on the phone for several times that day and then the following day, she did not sign up to uh, to volunteer, which was a little odd for her. I believe that Polly planned to leave, yes. The other theories are she committed suicide. Um, but if you're going to take Valium, and I mean, I'm not a, a medical professional, but if you're going to take Valium, it's pretty hard to overdose, overdose pardon me, on Valium, unless you're going to mix it with something else or drink alcohol with it or something like that. And then, you know, did she go off somewhere and, and um, you know, commit suicide and maybe the, the tracking animals just didn't find her? That's, that's a possibility. Maybe she was, she was so depressed that she, you know, decided to uh, end her own life. But according to what I've uh, been able to uncover, after she disappeared, except for that check that was um, that was drawn on her bank account um, 
She never touched her money or anything like that. From what I've heard, she had a fairly substantial amount of money. So, you know, some say, well, why would she, you know, give all that up for whatever just to just to leave? And, you know, I just think that um, she had two failed marriages. She was on her third. Her husband was quite a bit older than uh, she was. He wasn't in good health. Um, it can be hell being somebody's caregiver. It'll burn you out a lot faster than, than people think. You know, maybe she just decided to just walk away from it all. And she planned to do this. You know, the, the fact that, you know, something supernatural happened to her. Well, I, <laughs> I don't hold too much stock in that sort of thing. But, uh, hey, you know, if you believe Bigfoot grabbed her and got her away without a squeal or a scream or a struggle, you know, power to you. But... I think it's more uh, along the lines that she decided to disappear. So pretty interesting that Laura feels like Polly left the park on her own accord. And then we asked Laura her thoughts on the possibility of foul play. If somebody uh, maybe wanted to kidnap her, um, they weren't going to get much. She didn't have anything on her, except she was wearing her watch and her wedding ring. Perhaps that was that was the attraction. They were a little concerned. Um, some of her friends and family were because apparently in the area of Deep Creek, there was a place called Poke Patch. And I guess that's where a lot of drug deals went down and, and that sort of thing. And they thought that maybe um, Polly could have run across these these folks and something nefarious happened to her there. It's it's possible. So yeah, I, I agree with her there. I mean, again, Polly was a was a tall woman. She was five eleven. Like she kind of probably stood out on that trail. Um, certainly, if there was any like violence or something like that on the trail, I mean, that definitely would have stood out. There were there were people around, um, it, but there was also a parking lot that that wasn't too far that was accessible to her. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is there with the intentions of taking a single person off trail in the middle of the day. And Polly comes along and he grabs her. You're telling me Polly's not going to yell out to her friends who are probably still within at least shouting distance or yell out in general where a very popular trail. No one's hearing this. I just don't buy that somebody uh, that's how they're planning on abducting somebody or robbing somebody or anything in the middle of the day on a popular trail without getting caught. That's a very good point, Lance. What do you guys make of this poke patch? I think there are stories like this in at every park, you know, there's oh there's there's drugs going on there. I mean, what's really happening? If if we know it, like, you know, are they really dealing heroin down there? Are they are they is there's big coke deals going on down at Poke Bat? Like, I don't think so. You know, I think maybe there was some people smoking weed or something like that. Yeah, right. I mean, that's what you do when you go camping, right? You drink, you smoke. Yeah, well, let's play that out a little bit further, just real briefly. If there was some real seedy drug dealings going on, they're dealing heroin, they're dealing coke. So now they're they're starting to attack middle aged women. Like, right from what we've always heard, like drug dealers pretty much want to stick to dealing drugs. And if a middle aged woman comes upon them, unless she starts like acting all vigilante. But then you're going to hear something. Well, I think like the theory here is like maybe she saw something she wasn't supposed to see, you know, that whole uh, story people like to tell, you know, about uh, strange disappearances or whatever. But it's like if Polly stumbled across the poke patch and saw a drug deal happen, like clearly this is an open secret, like that this is where you go to deal drugs. So it's not like Polly would have had information that they had to kill her for, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible she wanted to buy drugs um, for some reason. Maybe, uh, I don't know, mm-hmm. some self-destruction uh, need. I, I don't really know. But uh, yeah, it seems unlikely to me. But as far as we know, like her addiction was to Valium specifically. We don't know about any other drug habits. And she, I guess, had taken her husband Bob's Valium that day. And then we get a bombshell from Laura. I have spoken to. Um one of um, Bob Melton's sons, and it was several years ago, he told me he didn't want his name mentioned, he just wanted to stay anonymous, but according to him, Pauline was having an affair. If he wasn't 100% um, sure of it, he was He was the next thing to it. Um, according to him, his father knew that there was something 
going on between Polly and another another fellow. And he said that that's why he and his brother were quite indifferent towards her uh, when she went missing. So interesting there. Um, I guess that is why Bob's sons weren't too fond of Polly, uh, because they believed she was having an affair. And then Laura heard from the granddaughter of an old friend of Polly's who has a thought about her time working at the Pentagon. Another um, person that I've spoken to is the uh, granddaughter of one of uh, Pauline's friends that camped in the campground where she and her husband uh, camped. And according to her, she thinks it's um, a little bit more nefarious. Pauline worked for the federal government and the Pentagon, and maybe she knew something. And, you know, maybe they had to get her out of the area. They, I mean, the FBI or, you know, the men in black or somebody had to come and, uh, and take her away because there was imminent danger. She was the one that uh, told me that Pauline wasn't feeling well that day. Um, she had to stop and get water and, and so on and so forth. And um, according to her, a fellow that was horseback riding in the area saw Pauline. Um, and I've gone back through the uh, newspaper articles and everything I've read, and I can't find any report of a fellow on horseback seeing her. So um, she might have some information that I that I do not. From all we've heard about these moments or these theories or these incidents where the government has taken somebody because they needed to perform secret government services, they we've always heard people say, does it really make sense to take somebody and make a scene of it? Or or would it make more sense that they arrange it so when Polly is by herself in her home and no one's around, she could just simply get into a car and leave with them? Yeah, the circumstances don't make any sense for this theory, in my opinion. Um, and we also like don't know what Polly did at the Pentagon. Um, her husband, I think it was her second husband, worked for the Pentagon? I think so, yeah. And then he was a graduate of MIT, so maybe like in the engineering field of some sort. But we don't know what kind of credentials Polly had. So what what was she doing at the Pentagon? And if we don't know, I mean, it's kind of easy to like color it conspiracy, you know. But I feel like, you know, it's it's really far fetched to say that she was like a spy or something like that, you know, and that that and now she knows secrets because she was you know, working so deeply at the Pentagon and now they got to, they got to, ex- they got to get her out of the great smoky mountains. Like, no, I don't, I don't think this, uh, this holds water at all. No, if, if she was a spy for the Pentagon, you never would know she worked at the Pentagon in the first place. Good point. And so Laura goes on to say that this granddaughter that she spoke with remembers Polly only ever being driven by her husband or fellow campers if she needed transportation somewhere. And she said she remembers Pauline well. She knew Pauline, and she also uh, uh, knew Pauline's uh, husband. She said one thing she remembers about Pauline was she really didn't drive. Usually if she had to go somewhere, her husband drove her or um, one of the uh, fellow campers drove her. I've never been able to substantiate whether she didn't have her license, didn't like driving, or Possibly the anti-nausea, high blood pressure medicine and driving just didn't mix. I've never really been able to substantiate what the, uh, what the issue was there. But I, I will say it, it looks like somebody else would have had to have driven. So if she wanted to leave, she would have had to uh, uh, probably arrange for somebody to come pick her up somewhere. And the possibility of her getting to a car in the lot near that trail was there yes because there was like i said there was that area that was really popular for people out tubing in the water um and there was a picnic area and campground it was just the other side that you couldn't access by vehicle do we know if she knew how to drive even without a license we just know that no one ever saw her driving okay so i don't know Interesting. So it's most likely like if she wanted to get away from this campground, she would have had to involve another person to give her a ride. I mean, I yeah. guess she could call a cab maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there there probably have been some record from that. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's the best theory here. The best working theory is that she got into somebody's car that she had arranged with um, 
in the parking lot there and, and was driven out of the park. Another similarity to Trenny's case, because um, if you recall in that case, they had a like a dog team that tracked Trenny's scent to one of the parking lots there. So I guess the th- prevailing theory there is that Trenny had gone to that parking lot and potentially gotten into someone's car as well. And here's Laura for final thoughts. Well, I, I hope that if, if uh, Pauline did leave, um, you know, she found happiness, uh, you know, wherever she went. And, you know, if she went uh, somewhere with someone, um, you know, I hope she I hope she found happiness. If that is what happened to her, I, I feel really bad for her husband, Bob, having to go through that and, and possibly find out um, the way that he did. Um, he only lived, I believe, for another couple years after uh, Pauline went missing, and then uh, he passed away as well. And it, it had to have been hard on uh, Pauline's father. Um, he was uh, well in his 80s um, when Pauline went missing, and then, you know, if she never contacted him again, um, you know, it's very sad for him, him as well. I know her siblings um, had never, never heard from her again, and they, they continued to wonder till they eventually passed away. You know, where, what happened to Paulie? You know, where did, where did she go that day? And it's sad for her friends. They continued to camp at that campground till you know eventually uh, they became aged and, and passed away as well, and they never, they never knew what happened to her. Uh, to her either so I, I you know i hope whatever happened to pauline she's she found peace What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.